You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. James Brown is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. Today we're speaking with two CASA members who joined forces to produce an innovative ETF product in the global real estate space, offering the benefits of this asset class to investors who like a little liquidity now and then. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome back, everybody. This is Alternative Thinking with James Baron from CASA. Today I'm talking with Marc-Andre Flagel and Raj Alala, and we're going to be talking about a partnership that they have together with uh, with a new ETF dealing with real estate. But uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go into self intros first and uh, just hear a bit about Mark and then Raj, and then we'll get into the uh, the opportunity that, that investors might have here. Let's uh, start with you, Mark. What uh, how's how's your career been, and and how have you got to where you are right now? And and let's hear about your firm a bit. Yeah, thanks, James. Um, you know, for 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 us, really, the expertise is uh, is uh, global uh, real estate, and more specifically, listed real estate, which is a very interesting sector at the moment in terms of valuation. And myself, I've been I've been uh, looking at real estate for the the last seventeen years, really working with uh, with our firm mm. uh, here um, at, at Prisima, and and recently, our firm has been partnering with uh, with Slate Asset Management, which is one of the fastest growing um, middle middle-sized uh, real estate manager globally uh, with mm-hmm. about 13 billion of assets uh, based in uh, based in Canada so so really yeah the, the the expertise is on on listed real estate for for myself in particular and in a in a global landscape as well very cool and and so why why I guess why did you maybe personally look at listed real estate versus doing directs and stuff like that? It's it's a different kind of animal. Um, and what's maybe the overall like some of the, the benefits and, and disadvantages of it? Yeah, it's an interesting point because you, you're right. Ninety um, percent of the real estate is is held on approximately on a global basis in in private hands. So the bulk of the market would be private, and and REITs and listed real estate would be about ten percent uh, hmm. of the overall market, but. But if you look at the information that, that comes out of the REIT and that informs investor on, on real estate, I would say it's the majority um, because REITs are trading every day. REITs are interacting mm-hmm. with the market every day. REIT management teams are talking to the market every day. So you get a lot of information out of these REITs to not only form a view on, on their valuation and if they're attractive or not compared to private real estate, but also um, to be more educated on, on the real estate landscape and help with private investments as well so that's what attracted me to to the space is really that that uh, plethora of information that you're getting every day to to become Mm -hmm. a better investor in the real estate space maybe let's drill down a bit more to you on that so what do you think like so obviously price discovery is much more prevalent in in the public markets than the however whenever people do appraisals in the, the 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 private side um, and there's obviously discounts and premiums to whatever those, whatever the appraised value of a REIT or, or something that's listed would be. Um, how do you, uh, how, how, what kind of range do you find in say these premiums and discounts? Kind of what affects them? Uh, this may be getting a bit deeper than we want to hear, but and and can the tail wag the dog? Can the public markets so or that little ten percent that's getting priced? Can it 
can it affect the price of all the all the private stuff or does a private kind of just do its own thing look that's a that's a very topical question and it's at at the center of our investment philosophy as a firm we've we've been we've been following REITs for for close to 23 years which which makes us one of the longest you know observer or, or investor in this space wow. and, yeah and, um, and and definitely your 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 question on uh, do REIT lead private or do REIT lag private? Definitely, they tend to lead private. So what you're what you're seeing in mm. terms of price discovery in uh, in the markets is is usually what's going to happen next to private real estate. Um, so we've seen REITs trading over the last twenty plus years at premiums to private. We've seen REITs trading at discounts to privates, like we are today. And there's always a mechanism to bring in, bring them in line with with the say quote unquote the real private values because you'll um at the end of the day we're, we're believers that REITs are real estate and that these these stocks are a collection of assets and if they trade away for too long either more expensively or more cheaply like at the moment there's going to be someone who's going to benefit from that and, and someone mm-hmm. being either that company selling assets to private investors to realize and discover that value or, or privatization, and we've seen many in the space over the years. Um, you know, players like like Blackstone or others have been very active in privatizing REITs because they realize that instead of buying a collection of assets on the private side, much better value to privatize that REIT and have access to similar or better assets, but at a discounted price. So, so definitely, REITs tend to lead private markets. So yeah, and you got to have the, guess that big bu- bucket of cash that uh, some of these larger investors have. To uh, to take advantage of those those premiums right. and discounts, but that's yeah, that's interesting. Let, let's go to uh, I mean the ultra um, public market uh, instruments made in Canada in 1990. My dad first one uh, evolve uh, um, ETFs and of course evolve uh, leader there with Rajlal. I think you hit. You're probably going to tell us what your AUM is. I think you just hit a, a, a billion marker, and uh, both both you and and Slate obviously early uh, early members to to Cath, which is fantastic. Uh, so uh, let's hear hear about you, Raj. I know you have a you have a a, a great story from the, the capital markets industry as well. That's what you've done there at, at Evolve. Yeah, thanks for having me on, James. Uh, so just a real quick background on myself. Uh, prior to putting Evolve together, I ran Canada for Wisdom Tree, which is one of the world's mm-hmm. best ETF providers. Prior to that, I ran the retail business for Fiera Capital, which is one of Canada's largest uh, independent yep. asset managers with uh, almost 200 billion in assets. And then going all the way back, I started something, which is where you and I met. Uh, I started something called Jovian Asset Management, which was part right. of a mid-sized financial services company called Jovian Capital, built up their asset management platform to about 5 billion in less than five years. Uh, and Jovian was also the organization that incubated uh, the Horizons uh, ETFs along with yeah. Valesky, who was the uh, who was the founder of the organization. So I served as a director for Horizons and also helped with uh, the uh, distribution. So when I left Wisdom Tree back in 2016, I uh, started thinking about what I wanted to do in the next chapter of my life, and uh, decided I wanted to build again and started to mm-hmm. put together uh, Evolve ETFs and started to put the team together. Started to put uh, the product ideas together. And then uh, five years ago, because we just crossed our five-year anniversary last month, five years ago, uh, we launched our first ETFs. Uh, today, uh, if you fast forward, 
Uh, we are current. We currently have 23 ETFs in our in our uh, stable of funds, and uh, we're actually over three three billion. In Boom. Assets. So we've had some phenomenal growth over the last five years. I think we've been the fastest growing ETF provider, if not one of the fastest growing uh, in the marketplace. And just to kind of put it into perspective, we started this year at two billion. So we've actually grown uh, by about 50% uh, this year alone in a, as you know, an incredibly uh, challenging oh, yeah. market. I mean, one of the things that I think our team has done a very good job of, and this, you know, will also dovetail into REITs, of course, is making sure that we're building a diversified platform of products. Many investors kind of got to know us a couple of years ago for our disruptive tech uh, ETF lineup because we launched a lot of first of mm -hmm. their kind in the Canadian market, like first cybersecurity, first automotive innovation. But as we were building those types of products and getting a lot of media attention and advisor and investor attention, we also wanted to make sure that you know, first and foremost, we're an ETF provider. And that's where we started to really branch out into products like covered call overlay uh, ETFs. One of our uh, one of our biggest drivers of growth this year, and this won't be a surprise to anybody, is our cash alternative uh, product because cash is king this year for most investors. Yep. And uh, our cash product has done incredibly well in terms of uh, gathering assets. So yeah, it's been a it's been a great five years and uh, pretty proud of what we've been able to build so far. And, you know, as it relates to REITs, Fraser McEwen, who's at Slate, has been a good friend of mine for, I don't know, probably dating myself at least 15 years now. Yeah, uh, same here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for you too. And um, since we launched Evolve and since Fraser was at Slate, him and I have been having a number of conversations about launching uh, a REIT ETF and partnering with Slate because as you know, and I think many of your listeners will know, Slate's got a phenomenal brand in the Canadian market, not just with investors, but definitely also with advisors because many of them have had some really good experiences, uh, investment experiences uh, with Slate. And then when it dovetailed into the acquisition of uh, Presima, which I think Marc-Andre is going to talk a little bit more about, that was uh, the catalyst for us to uh, bring mm -hmm. this product out because Presma has a really strong track record. And as Marc-Andre already mentioned, uh, very deep history uh, in the read space. Love it. Well, I didn't know we were so close because, yeah, because we're, we're celebrating our fifth year in February and same sort of thing. Like uh, when Carol and I started Cass, it was you know, kind of rhymed with the other stuff we were doing, just like just like yours and, and growing our team. Not to, I think he said, well, 23 funds uh let's know how many employees but we're at six now so yeah it's amazing what you can do when you just uh work all day every day <laughs> yeah and you know there's lots of people that tell you not to do it uh and uh you just got to put your blinders on and focus on on building and as i always say uh no matter how competitive an industry is if you mm -hmm. put together a good business plan and most importantly you execute it you can find success uh anywhere and so so far so good for us so what's, uh, you said you grew like 50% so far this year. Wow. It's like, so what's, what's been selling? Uh, obviously real estate will be selling, but what's been kind of pushing it? Uh, probably not crypto, but you have 23, <laughs> 23 ETF so far. I mean, is this the 24th too? And then what, uh, so what's been kind of, kind of rocking, rocking the markets there? Cause yeah, it's not returns. I think this for is a lot the, of them maybe, but no, this is the 23rd, uh, built, which is the ticker, uh, which is the, uh, refund with, with slate. Right. Um, 
really what's been selling for us is cash first and foremost. We have a cash alternative fund, which uh, the ticker is HESA. And what we do with that fund is we deposit uh, with four of the big six banks and earn the overnight rate, uh, plus a premium above the overnight rate of just, just about 49 basis points. So right now, hmm. that fund is yielding 3.74%. And when investors compare it to other cash alternatives, whether it be money market funds or GICs, when you take a look at it from a rate versus liquidity uh, perspective, I think that we've probably got the best product uh, in the marketplace. And that's definitely uh, been showing true with a lot of investor interest. The other area of growth for us has been around some of our covered call uh, ETFs. I know that we're probably going to talk about mm-hmm. that in, 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 the, in this uh, um, podcast. But I think finally, a lot of investors are realizing that if we're going to be in a slightly upward, slightly downward or flat market, that covered call strategies can really add some value uh, within a, within a portfolio because obviously they can generate some yield and also cushion some of the downside risk as well. I think if you look back prior to uh, 2022, we obviously were in a secular bull market and uh, you most likely were better off holding the equities without a covered call overlay. But I think a lot of investors and a lot of advisors uh, view the next few years as very different than the previous few years. Very cool. Yeah, you know what? I started at, uh, as a broker in '95, uh, and yeah, we just had cash in the accounts, and we didn't have these ETFs and stuff like that. I guess ETFs really had just we still had tips and hips back then. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting if you just buy an ETF, then you get so you get forty nine bips over the overnight rate, which is it seems like witchcraft, but I'm sure I'm sure there's something behind it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think from a bank's perspective, the reason why they're deposit takers for for a fund like ours is, you know, it it, it gives them uh, some diversification to their deposit base because if you're one of the big mm-hmm. five banks, most of the depositors in your uh, in with your bank are most likely existing clients or customers, whether it be retail or commercial, but. Uh, if you're a deposit taker for a fund like this, you're getting access to uh, depositors from all of the independents, all the independent dealers, I mean, and some of the other banks. So it's a great diversifier uh, from a bank's mm-hmm. deposit-based perspective. And I think that's probably one of the major motivations. And also, you know, retail assets tend to be a little bit stickier than uh, commercial or institutional. And, uh, and that's definitely been true, uh, for our fund, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been getting a lot of attention this year. There's been a lot of articles about all of these HESA like, uh, ETFs. And I, as I said, if you look at it from yield versus, you know, daily liquidity perspective, it's far better than a lot of the, uh, the alternatives, but you're quite right. You know, um, the cash business has changed over the last, uh, over the last few years. And these cash ETFs have definitely uh, gotten a lot of attention. Yeah, like I say, I guess they're facing one institutional client, which is you, but it's stickier in that there's a bunch of retail stuff underneath. So you're basically just aggregating it. So that's uh, yeah, they are. And you know, one of the points that I would make on this, and you know this very well, and I'm sure your listeners do uh, also. We've all been we've all been told and preached to that you need to have this 60-40 portfolio now, 60 usually equities and 40 fixed income, but sometimes investors have had the other way around. And uh, I think most people are realizing that it's been broken and it doesn't really work. 
uh, and it hasn't worked. I think when investors followed this 60-40 principle, what they were thinking was at some point in the future when the equity markets face a downturn, at least my fixed income will protect me. And what we've seen- as you <laughs> Not know, so much lately, yeah. Uh, yeah, and what we've seen over the last year is short-term fixed income funds, longer-term, obviously, fixed income funds. Some of them are down double digits uh, for a year. And that has really, uh, that has been a real challenge for uh, for a lot of investors. And so a lot of people have just kind of thrown in the towel and said, you know, I, I missed out on all of these equity gains over the last 10 years because I followed this 60-40 methodology and uh, my 40, my fixed income, didn't really protect me much uh, over the last year. And I, so I think going forward, you're going to see a plethora of different types of products that will cater uh, to it. And, you know, you're obviously uh, pretty involved in the alternative space. I think that I think things like private credit, private debt funds uh, will continue to do well. And I, I think it's, it's just a consequence of this market. What's been interesting for us with HESA, and then we can get off HESA, obviously, but with HESA. <laughs> yeah, uh, hijack the HESA, yeah. Yeah, cash is, <laughs> cash is such a fascinating topic for people these days. What's been interesting for us is when you think about um, the markets, right? If, if, if you look back at of February, March of 2020, when the markets dropped off a cliff, or you go back to 2008, or you go back to even, you know, for the older listeners, you know, back to 97, uh, when the markets drop off a cliff, um, most people are paralyzed and they don't know what to do. So they don't do anything. Fortunately, you have a V-shaped recovery that happens, that's ha that can happen quite quickly. So you're glad that you didn't do anything. This correction that we've been through this year has been incredibly painful, but it's been every single day. You know, I, today down 2%, tomorrow maybe back up half percent, the following day down 3%. And what we've been able to observe through our HESA fund is every single day there's been a new group of investors that have just said, you know what, I'm done with this market. They've thrown in the towel and they've moved to cash. Um, because of this gradual decline, you've seen new investors every day say that I've, I've, got to, I've got to take a break from this market or I have to move to the sidelines and move into cash, which is why over you know, a sustained correction uh, that we've been going through this year, uh, we have new people coming into moving into cash and moving into our HESA fund. So it's been an interesting observation. And what I say to my team as well is what, what, we, can, what we are going to become a barometer for is when we start to go through a period, let's say a week or a month, where our HESA fund faces net redemptions, because that day will come where people mm -hmm. just decide that they want to deploy money back into the market, we'll have a really good bird's eye view into the confidence level that's actually returning to the market um, from investors. So it's anyways, there's, there's a lot of offshoot, interesting factors uh, from all of this move for, uh, to cash. And it will be interesting because we have not had a week where we've had uh, net redemptions in HESA for a very long time. So I'm looking kind of looking forward to the week where we do, because that means that money will be hopefully returning to the equities. And one place it should go is certainly uh, real estate. So let's go. Let's yeah. go to Mark and talk about this product here because there's there's lots of types of real estate. I mean, there's uh, even just in the you know obviously in the public side too. So that that little sliver of ten percent uh, that's that's in in public funds, uh, mutual funds, and that. Um, 
global, different, different, different types of, you know, regions, even regions within countries, you know, within states, within uh, sectors and that. So what, what, what are you guys focusing on um, with, with Slate and Pressima or maybe with this, with this product specifically, and we'll just, uh, we'll start drilling down there. Oh, of course, and and I think the discussion we just had with 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 Raj on ESA is very relevant to the the current opportunity in real estate. Um, you know, just because indeed that the, the asset class is facing a lot of competition from from cash and from ESA or, or or others out there. But and we believe, you know, to, to Raj's point, when when money is going to flow back to to risk riskier assets or, or risk on assets. Um, Real estate might be a very good place uh, to be, um, given given the underperformance we've seen, obviously compared to cash, but but also compared to some some pockets of equity as well. So so what we're trying to do with the, the ETF, and and by the way, the CTF um, is a is um, is pegged on a strategy we've been managing for institutional clients for twelve years now, close to twelve years. So the strategy as a as a twelve year track record for oh, nice. for institutional money. And um, and it's it's fairly simple. It's taking the the core nature of real estate. So we're looking for we're looking for global companies that have um, very stable cash flow. Even even in the environment today, we're able to find companies who have long leases, who have leases that are below market, so they can still increase um, they can still increase the rent uh, and distribute that cash flow to investors. So. You know, we feel that that in our space, sometimes simple is beautiful, and um, and just you know taking those rents and redistributing them in the form of dividend to shareholders is a long-term winning recipe for for good returns in real estate. So we're really looking for those stable companies with with not only some protection, you know, in, in terms of rents going forward, but also some opportunities to grow that that uh, distribution or to to grow that rent or to take on new renovation projects that will increase the, the distribution. So we're looking for companies with growing, growing dividends. Um, and that's, that's obviously been a, an that sounds like a winner. Yeah. That's not, that's been a, a winner <laughs> yeah. over, over the years for real estate. And we layer on top of that, a, um, and Raj was, was you know, referring to it, the popularity of those strategies, but also the fact that they might be quite efficient uh, for the next two, three years where the market might remain volatile. We're layering a, um, a uh, covered call strategy. So very simple. Uh, on about a third of the, of the companies we own, we will add some covered calls to generate per year an extra 1% to 2% of return, which is not neglectable in this market. Um, mm. And what we like about covered calls in real estate in particular is that you're, you're getting paid to sell volatility, but the real estate assets underneath are not, are not volatile. They're not supposed to be as volatile as the stocks that owns those assets. So you're able to, to be paid for higher volatility that it, it should actually be <laughs> owning the buildings. Yeah, that's a great so deal. We, we kind of we like it just from a, a, a mispricing perspective where, where you're getting paid to, to sell higher vol than, than what the buildings are exhibiting underneath. So basically, uh, for the, the constituents of the fund are REITs and you know there's, there's a few different kind of types or sizes, I guess, is this, you're looking for companies that are in maybe one specific geographical or sector or whatever it might be. And then you, you, you create the portfolio like that with all these different pieces, or are you buying like larger ones that would have 
global diversification already, or or maybe do you do like a core and explore? Like how 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 do you build your portfolio here? Look, our firm we're um, you know given we're specialists, we're we're boutique, and now we have obviously a great partnership with with Slate Asset Management, who who manages assets on a on a, you know very various uh, both very various basis, both on a sector and, and country basis. Mm-hmm. Um, we we are looking at everything. So on a, on a real time basis, our our ten investment uh, member team is looking at scanning the the global <laughs> the global landscape in terms of REIT. So we we will be looking at at countries, obviously in North North America, uh, Europe, Asia Pacific, and we will look at all the different sectors that are available in the REIT space. And I think one of the advantages of REITs over uh, some private real estate fund is is the ability to have access to to a very wide range of you know sectors and countries, obviously, but but also to very niche spaces. Um, you know, over the twenty years we've been following REITs, we've seen the the um, mm-hmm. start of manufactured housing. We've seen the start of single-family rental. We've seen the start of data centers. Um, so with REITs, you're able to access. <laughs> I didn't even think all about that. Yeah, yeah all these yeah, different areas now. Different. Yeah, indeed, and you're able to access it in a in an instant <laughs> with REITs. Um, which, which is obviously something we we like to be able to to give diversification and to be able to um, to invest in sectors that are that are very difficult to access on the private side for for you know many many investors out there. Hey James and uh, James, maybe I can just jump in here. Um, yeah, and add something. <clears throat> I actually think it's worthwhile to talk about calls uh, again. But for sure. Yeah back on the real estate and just kind of, you know, putting the macro hat uh, on again, you know, what we've seen this year, as all of us have experienced is this indiscriminate selling in the market and uh, people not really looking at what the quality is of what they're selling. They're just selling because they mm-hmm. want to move to the, mm-hmm. to the sidelines. And uh, that's one of the reasons why correlations between so many different asset classes have been ha- as high as they have been, I think if we start looking forward and as money starts to get redeployed back into the market, I think what we'll find is a lot of investors are going to be much more selective about what they buy. They may not necessarily want to buy technology companies, for example, that aren't making any money, uh, even though a couple of years ago they were fine uh, with buying those types of companies. They may be starting to take a closer look at earnings for companies and future potential uh, and ability to perform in a recessionary environment and and so on. And REITs are are really no different. You know, there are a lot of high quality REITs that uh, that have that have been sold off that now represent mm-hmm. uh, some pretty great value in the market. So when when money starts to get redeployed. Uh, which I've got to believe is going to happen sometime in the next, you know, six months to a year. Uh, I think people are going to be very selective about what they're buying, and that's one of the reasons why uh, active management in a fund like this uh, is so important. And active management with a manager that actually has the track record that Presma does to be selective in terms of, you know, where, you know, skate where the puck is going. Famous line, obviously, and I think that that's one of the things that. Uh, is going to be important in the real estate market. And that's why I think active is going to become more important. I think the SPIVA report card that just you know came out recently, it's the first time in a long time that active managers have actually outperformed uh, their benchmark or, or having pure beta uh, in the market. So I think you're going to see more and more value 
uh, for active management because I think being selective in the next you know six months to a year is going to be extremely critical. Yeah. So That's how does that work too? Because you know, there's just there's this discount like the prices have gone down. Then there's a discount, I guess, in the 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 REITs because it's public market, so everybody's like they're hammering those things down. And so that that leads to more vol, obviously, volatility in the underlying the the the, the prices of the REITs. But then that that really helps you on the covered call stuff, right? Because if you're buying these these REITs and then you're 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 selling calls, you're collecting that premium. I'm not going to go too far into that here with uh, with yep. with options options option theory, but that's that that's that's awesome because if the re- you know, the real estate prices start going up and the discounts narrow and you've also got this this income coming in. You got the three things, the trifecta of, of return drivers in these things. Is, am I right there? Like, it sounds like really good. Yeah, I'm not trying to sell it here, though. But. Of course, yeah. And then back back to active management, I think it's it's important to mention that our covered call strategies, much like um, Evolve suite of, of products, um, we're, we're active on that side too. And, and to Rash point, we think active management in this market is, is, is of value. And what I mean by that is that even on the call side, we're we're selective on on the strike prices, and we're selective on how how much out of the money do you, do you want to write those calls? Because when you face discounted valuation, if you would if you would be a bit less um, you know picky, uh, you would probably write calls on everything close to the money, and then you would wouldn't be able to capture that that rebound that that you know will come eventually. So we want to leave room for for upside too, and portfolio so we're we have the ability to be selective in the strike prices of, of those calls leaving some upside but but you're right at, at this mm-hmm. point given the volatility in the market we are we are seeing very good volatility and and you know very good premiums for for relatively short-term calls so we're you know committing ourselves for for not too long here so so indeed it is it is a, a good way to add additional income at this point yeah, and I would just also add uh, to Marc Andre's comment. You know, mm-hmm. he, all covered call strategies are not made equally. Uh, they're 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 very different. And you know, Mark Mark Andre touched on it, and I mentioned it before. Um, active management with covered calls, we think, is very important. And and let me explain what I mean by that. There's really two different types of approaches that you could have to a covered call overlay. There's active. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is what we use. And then there's also systematic. And systematic means that you're just writing calls on a third of the portfolio right across the board and typically rolling those calls every uh, every month. And um, that doesn't allow the manager to use any discretion on you know where the option premiums are, what volatility looks like. Do they want to let some of the stocks run? Do they want to cover more of the stocks? And for us, it, our experience with our active covered call overlay is we have been able to consistently outperform a systematic uh, approach. So I think when people, investors are evaluating covered call funds, they need to make sure that they understand that they're not all the same and that, uh, and, and be comfortable with the fact that, you know, active probably adds a little more value uh, than systematic. And, you know, this year, for example, in the ETF industry in Canada, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about 10 billion has gone into equity ETFs. And of that 10 billion, three of three billion has gone into covered call strategies. So you can clearly Holy. see that. Yeah, you can clearly see that covered call strategies are really catching on. And it goes back to the comment that I made earlier, which is, you know, over the last 10 years, up until the beginning of this year, you were probably better off just owning the equities and not having a covered call overlay. 
but now going forward, I think more investors are realizing that in a sideways or slightly downward or slightly upward market, a covered call strategy can obviously not just provide a little bit of protection, but also uh, generate some much needed yield. So I think we're going to see over the next few years, covered call strategies become more and more prevalent uh, in the uh, in the marketplace. That's wild, yeah, because it's there's uh, you you only get so many opportunities like this too. I remember during the crisis, I had a buddy who did a, I don't know what he was doing. He was doing like the covered. He did a he did a naked. Uh, I think he just he sold the call or the put on the double levered S and P, you know, whatever ETF and stuff. I'm like, okay, I don't understand what you're doing here, but like, what what what's the deal? He's like, well, the implied volatility is three hundred and twenty percent. So chances are this thing's gonna gonna expire worth this and I'm gonna collect that fantastic premium. That's obviously a lot more speculative than the stuff you guys are doing because you actually have the you know the the stock underlying as well. But That's um right. uh yeah, you mentioned too, Mark and Mark, with the uh the, the prices that you guys are like how far out these calls are. Cause if you have a of any uh, a read at ten bucks and you sell it, uh you cover call right at that uh at, at twelve, it's an entirely different price than if you do it at fifteen. You're giving up more upside with the 12, but you're getting a lot more money, obviously. So how do you guys work out kind of where that, uh, you know, where that makes that balance of, you know, having to redo this trade every, every, like more, more often and also getting the, um, you know, the higher premiums and such. And yeah, having, is there, is there like a term structure to these, these uh, option, option premiums too? It's on a, it's really on a case by case basis. And again, you know, one of the advantage of having our, our, having our eyes on the market every day and, and being specialists is that you're, you're able to, well, we're, we think we're able to strike that, that balance between um, writing, writing calls with, with strike prices that are consistent with where we're expecting the valuation to be. Um, mm-hmm. But yet at the same time, you know, collecting meaningful premiums enough to, to be able to, to generate that extra income. And, and typically this, the strike prices are are in line with our our you know shorter term targets for the company. So, um, you know, meaning that if if we achieve that strike price, we would we would be willing or we would be happy to let go of the security at, at that price. And and another important element to um, to to our active cover call management strategy is the time horizon. So typically, we would do calls on a one month basis or one to two months basis to. To be able to reassess our, our position, you know, very frequently, and, and mm-hmm. we find that doing this exercise frequently, you you at the end of the year um, collect much better uh, premiums than if you would have locked in um, a, a one year contract, for example. Um, so it's it's balancing time horizon with where we think the valuation of the stock should be, um, and and so far it's been, you know, delivering on expectations where. Uh, the vast majority of the contract we we wrote weren't assigned, so we we never reached a strike price, and yet we were able to achieve, you know, again historically between one and two percent extra income per year on a very stable basis. Yeah, that's like extracting another piece of rent there, right? Eh? That's awesome. Correct. Yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> that's how we see it. <laughs> very cool. So this is is trading right now. Like it's available. Uh, I don't know if you guys have had the market open yet or. Yeah, it just started a few weeks back now. Um, obviously, as Raj was uh, was uh, was mentioning earlier, it is it is a challenging market at the moment. There's not a lot of uh, of risk appetite, but um, precisely, you know, we we we've always been as a firm and and myself as an individual, very high conviction and type of investor, and and we think when when no one is 
thinking about this when no one wants to touch risk or, or touch real estate. This is yeah. precisely typically when you <laughs> when you want to enter the market. And and we've we've been in the game long enough to to see that if if we're seeing the type of discounts today in the read space, um, you know, on average, on average, we're close to a thirty percent discount now, which is, is a, which is one of the steepest we've seen in you know since the great financial crisis in two thousand and eight. Um, and typically, what's going to happen in, in such a market? Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not today, um, but there's going to be a lot of these companies um, working hard to realize that that value and realize that discount. And what I mean by that is um, they'll either sell assets to prove their valuation, they'll buy back shares, which they're you know, continuously doing, um, or uh, we've mentioned it earlier in the, in the podcast, but they'll, they'll just get privatized. And, and that's ultimately the premium they'll be able to generate by this privatization will, will be tremendous return for for investors, so so we we feel you know just looking at, at implied yields or yields that on stocks at the moment um, that that owning real estate at this point at this price um, is is a you know is a much better bet in the REIT space than it is on on most of the private assets out there. Yeah, I, lo- I love how you you call it a game because um, you know you've been in the game long enough when you do call it a game, I guess, and it's great yeah. to have some of these. <laughs> These old hands in there that, you know, like, like look at that, that implied vol. It was like you get that trade once in a lifetime, 320% or whatever it was. It's just nuts. But then you get more cyclical ones like the premium discount to with REITs and, and such. Um, and then layering on that, the volatility of the options that you can get on them. Um, you know, being and able think, to, yeah, and, and you have a product ready now. People can actually buy it versus, hey, let's get this ready. It'll take six months. Oh, crap. It might be, we might have missed the, the, de- the you know, the bottom well, of that's- that's a very good point, James. Because you, you know, in the read space, you're you're definitely able to have access tomorrow, um, as opposed to buying a collection of buildings, which will take, oh, yeah. you know, years <laughs> or or decades to assemble. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 to Rash's point earlier, the the quality of the, the reads, some of the reads at least, when you're able to be active and selective, is is unmatched. Um, you know, these these companies own in some cases, very high quality assets, very stable cash flow, triple A tenants. Um, so it's not like you're, you know, even though it's only 10% or so of the market, it's not like you're, you're being, you're being ended the, the short stick here. Um, in the read space, you can buy it, especially in, on a global, global scale in Europe and Asia and US, you can buy very high quality real estate and now at a massive discount. So this is why we're so bullish. You know, if you look at the at the next you know, three or four years on on real estate, listed real estate in general, and certainly, you know, this ETF in particular. Love it. Well, let's go back to Raj for a bit here. I think we're almost at our, at our time. But, you know, so you guys have the, the HESA rocking. Uh, this one's come, come out, come out of the gate with, you know, the obvious benefits that we, we've talked about. What's next for Evolve? What's your 24th ETF? Or is that like <laughs> skunk work stuff? Oh, James, I knew you would try and ask that question. <laughs> we always try to keep that very close to our seat sleeve. Um, we're looking at a lot of different things, you know, but again, kind of going back to um, the fact that the fact that we diversified our product lineup was like probably the most important thing that we've done over the last few years. Unfortunately, I've seen other ETF providers that have just picked one area 
let's say it's crypto or let's say it's just disruptive tech and they've really, really struggled uh, this year. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. some gone from a billion, a billion and a half down to two or 300 million in mm. assets uh, today. So for us, what's most important is uh, is trying to identify opportunities in the marketplace that, that also kind of diversify our, our product lineup as well. But there's a lot of different areas that we're, we're, we're looking at, but again, kind of taking into consideration where is money going to move back into uh, that's on the sidelines right now? And, you know, some of that might end up being core beta. Some of that might be all in one solutions. Um, mm-hmm. We're still kind of, uh, we're still kind of working all of that out and, and planning accordingly. Hopefully that was a, a good enough non-answer for you. Oh man. Welcome to Ottawa. You're probably <laughs> <laughs> well, that's been great. Man, it's, uh, it's so great to have, like, Raj, you see everything in the, the landscape and like you say, your stuff goes from the adhesives to the crypto to the, the real estate and everything. So, uh, and then we have someone to really get into the weeds with, with, uh, with Mark. So thanks, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, let's do another one of these soon and uh, get an update on the, on the property markets in the next year or so. And uh, we'll get you, let's see, we'll get you another podcast uh, again sometime soon. Thanks, guys. Great. Thanks, James. Thanks for having us.